We're currently in a series in Ephesians, and we're about halfway through. So today we're going from chapter 4, verse 17 to 32. Instructions for Christian living. So I tell you this, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of the life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to be put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Okay. Let's get down to business to digest God's word. You are all God's daughters and his sons. You're the brightest bunch I ever met, and you can bet before we're through. Mr. I'll make disciples out of you. We're in Christ, we must be swift as a raging river. We're in Christ with all the strength of the love of God. We're in Christ, we must be strong. Wait, we have strength as the Holy Spirit, mysterious as the dark side of the moon. Thank you. Good, good evening, everybody. You have all involuntarily signed up to my training session tonight. If you wish to address me, the correct title is Master Sensei. But seriously, my name is Daniel. I grew up at this church and then I moved out of home and been part of a church plant in Parramatta CBD. But like all sort of grown adults, they come home to get the washing done and have their dinners cooked and I like coming back here because it's really fun. This is my home. I work as a school chaplain and I love doing creative things. I love Disney, hence the song. It's from Mulan if you are just like, what is he doing? But I hope you're pumped because I'm pumped to get into the Word of God tonight. And so as Alex said, we're in the middle of a series and we've been going through the letter to the Ephesians and it's just been amazing. We've just been lavished in God's love and the amount of, yeah, just the truth of who we are in Christ. We learned that we were once dead, dead as a doornail, dead in our sins. But then, can you remember then, Sterling's big but? But we're not dead anymore. We've been made alive in Christ. And what's more, we are so, so loved. If only we could grasp how much. All of us, we could grasp it even more. 
And then last week, we reached a turning point in the letter where we moved from just the truth that's so amazing to how does that truth impact how we live? And it's where the rubber meets the road and the practical stuff, which we often want to get to. We want to do stuff. Christine preached an awesome sermon. If you didn't hear it, listen to it online. And she was speaking about how we need to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit that we have with each other, that we need to build each other up into the body of Christ that we are. And each single one of us has to bring what God has given us to build up the church. And together we can restore Yellowstone National Park. No, that's, that was the example, but it was a really cool example about how a little thing can make a huge difference. And so when each part of us plays our part, God's kingdom is going to go awesomely. And so tonight, we are also one. You've got to realise that we are meant to be one. Whether you're young or older, or you're visiting tonight, or you've been a lifelong member, we are all one. And for me, this seating arrangement doesn't work. And so what I need you to do is I'm wanting you to move your chairs in and everyone squish into one so that we can remind ourselves that we are one, okay? So this is the first activity of tonight. Move in. Let's be one. You've got like one minute. Oh, look at you now. Now you look like one. That's exciting. You have people shoulder to shoulder. You're not just your own little pockets of people. We are one. So our passage begins with the word so. And so that means everything that we're going to look at tonight is in relation to everything that we have learned the past several weeks. And so this is in the context of our calling. We are urged by Paul to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. And we are in Christ. That is our calling. It's important that we acknowledge that because if we don't, we could read this passage in isolation and think it's just a bunch of do's and don'ts at best or like a burden on us at worst rather than actually living as who we actually are. And so what have we been called into? Well, I just... In case you haven't been here, I did a quick summary which can fit on your hand. So it goes, we are in Christ, secure, safe, forever. We are chosen, like, and chosen before creation, so it's not based on anything you've done. We are adopted into God's family, and it gave him great pleasure to do so. We are forgiven, we are lavished in grace, and we are gifted the Holy Spirit as a foretaste to our internal inheritance. I want us to say these five things and so that we actually get this. We've got to memorise this. We've got to know that this is who we are. Okay, so you, you need to say with me, we are in Christ, chosen, adopted, forgiven, gifted the Holy Spirit. And again, we are in Christ, chosen, adopted, forgiven, gifted the Holy Spirit. One more time, we are in Christ, chosen, adopted, forgiven, gifted the Holy Spirit. Now I just want the men to do it. We'll see if men or women are better. After three, one, two, three, we are in Christ, chosen, adopted, forgiven, gifted the Holy Spirit. Now the girls, you're on your own. Off you go. Now, is there one person who's really courageous, who thinks they can do it by themselves? There's a reward. Yeah, you can do it. So we are in Christ, chosen, adopted, forgiven, forgiven, Okay, so that's who we are. Hopefully we've got it in our heads. 
This is our passage, and I've made it colourful so it's easy to see what's going on. So he starts off, and he says, I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must... He's super insistent. This isn't just some casual language. There's, there's no element of compromise in his language. This is not something, well, when I get round to it, I'll do it. It's tonight. This is what you must do. It must be cut off fully. Because this is stuff that we actually have to actively do. It doesn't just automatically happen when we become a Christian. This is why we need to enter into strict training. And so what must we no longer do? We must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So just so you know, in this context, when Paul says Gentiles, he's not referring to the Christian Gentiles as opposed to the Jewish one. He's just talking about non-believers. So we must no longer live as they do and think like they do. Does anyone want to hazard a guess as like what they think the futility of their thinking was? 100%. Yeah. It's, did anyone else want to add? Yeah, there's this idea of they're not clear on what their future is, and so they can be spending a lot of their time on things that have no worth in eternity. I also thought it could also be that they thought, well, if this is all there is to life, then I can live however I want, because life is futile, and so I can just be, well, it doesn't matter what I do with my body, it doesn't matter how I spend my time, as long as I'm happy, that's all good. And so Paul's trying to encourage us, actually, no, it's really important how we live now, because of who we are. It's not just in heaven we're going to be like this. We are that now. But also, they're so focused on their idols and the things of this world, which in the end are meaningless. Like Ecclesiastes tells us this, about how you can labour as long as you want and as hard as you want. You can earn a lot of money. You can build the house of your dreams, even your marriage. All of these things are going to end when Jesus comes back. What are the things that are eternal? And so it's actually quite a challenge and quite confronting if you think about it, because if I think about how much time do I spend thinking and working on things that have no importance in eternity, compared to how much time I spend thinking about kingdom things, is my life consumed with matters like the body of Christ, the maturity of my brothers and sisters, and the salvation of my peers? Because these are things that are not futile. These are things worth investing in. I do need to acknowledge that, yes, we do need to think about ordinary day-to-day mundane things in this world, but we must view it in light of the context of who we are in Christ and that we have God who loves us and will hold us forever. And so why is Paul insisting that we don't think like this in the futile ways? It's so that we avoid the hardening of our hearts. Because the danger of thinking about only the here and now is that it creates hard hearts. And the truth of the love of God can't penetrate such hard hearts. People with hard hearts do not realise actually what they're missing out on. They're actually kind of blind to it. They crave it, they go looking for it in all the wrong places because all those places leave them empty and wanting more. Like a drug addict who has become desensitised to the low-level drugs needs a bigger and bigger hit of more and more powerful drugs. In the same way, a person with a hard heart seeks out their spiritual need through physical pleasures or sensuality as is in the passage, whether that be junk food or entertainment or sex or alcohol. All of these things are okay things in and of themselves, but they will not ultimately satisfy us. They won't meet what we're actually trying to look for in them. They promise all the happiness in the world, but often render us more miserable. In the end, we're seeking too much from them. And so with hard hearts, they continually desire more because they're never satisfied. And so Paul says such people are full of greed. And more than any other time in history today, this is really dangerous for us because we can have all of these things in 
limited supply. If you think about how much food is available to us now, we have every type of food available around the planet that we can eat as much as we want. If you think about entertainment, you could spend your whole life on Netflix and never have to watch the same thing twice. With sex, the amount that's in the internet, again, endless. All of these things we can actually, in today's society, try and pursue for the rest of our life, trying to get more and more. But none of it will satisfy us. This is not who we are. Paul, in verse 22 of the passage, calls them deceitful desires. They lie to us about the good that they can bring. However, that is not you any longer. Because we are, in Christ, chosen, adopted, forgiven, and gifted the Holy Spirit. Good job. And so we are now a new creation, is what God calls us. But I remember when I was a young man, all those years ago... (laughs) I remember really struggling with this concept of being a new creation because I felt much more like my old self than the new self that Paul was talking about. My deepest desires were for things that were contrary to the word of God and I ended up even doubting whether I was in Christ. Um, In 1 Corinthians 6 it says, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And that phrase, and that is what some of you were, I thought, well, no, I still feel like I am that old self. And I don't know about you, but maybe you do too. And so we must acknowledge that there is an obvious disconnect between what Paul is saying who we are and what we sometimes think or the choices that we make. And so that's why Paul wrote this letter. He didn't write it for the sake of writing it. There was a purpose to it. And notice he didn't start the letter by saying, if you live like this, you are in Christ. No, he said, this is who you are. And he spent three chapters going, this is you. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. And then he said, Those people are going to live like this. And it's really similar to how God spoke to the Israelites in the Old Testament. Because first, he rescued them from slavery. And he said, you are my people. You are a nation in me, in God. And then he gave them, this is how such people live. So one of the main things that the Holy Spirit will do is emphasize to you that you are in Christ. Do not let the devil deceive you by saying that because you keep on sinning that you are no longer in Christ, because you are. I am convinced that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ, Um, no sin, um, because he has gone like to the nth degree to save you. Will he give up on you now? No way. But let us continue to train to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And so we are called to put off these deceitful desires that we've had. Paul says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we need to allow that truth to reign supreme in our minds. And so my example of this is the lovely Meghan Markle. Now, who was she? She was an okay actress from America. (laughs) You're one of the meal people. And then she was, in essence, adopted into the royal family through marriage to Prince Harry. And now you think about the change that she had to do in her life. She took on a completely new identity. She had to give up acting, and she had to learn all these new protocols of what it means to be a royal. She has to dress a certain way. She has to speak a certain way. She um, can't 
just do anything that she wants, there's a way of being royal. Did she get it right straight away? Probably not. But probably right from the moment of her engagement, or maybe even a bit before, she would have been entering strict training. It's like, okay, you need to make sure you're on board with who you are now. And that's the same for us. This is what we do. We have been adopted into God's family, but it takes us a bit of time to get on board with, oh, this is my new identity, this is who I am. And sometimes us sort of older people get a bit slack and we think, oh, yeah, like I'll get to that. I've got a whole lifetime of growing in my likeness of Christ and there's no rush. But there is. Because these old habits are deceitful. They're corrupt, damaging even. Why hang on to it any longer than necessary? Why not step into the fullness of what God has to offer? As Paul worded, may we be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Because we were created to be like God. How cool. We are mini-me versions of God. Have you ever thought of yourself like that? We get to go around every day and act like God. God loves to make things, and he makes things to benefit others. God loves beauty, both the wild and the ordered garden. He loves the people who he made, and he loves having conversations with them. God loves to bless others and be generous, like what's mine is yours. God is wise. He makes informed decisions. God is patient. The items on his agenda are far more important than the items on our agenda. God loves to party, and he's full of joy, and he doesn't focus on the cost. He sees life as a gift to be enjoyed. I want you to imagine for a second your average week. Just go through in your head, what do you do in your week? Who are the people that you interact with? And now I want you to imagine you're midway through your week, and then suddenly God turns up dressed as a human. Imagine what he does with the people around you. Can you see him get excited to show them how much they are loved? Can you see him laugh with that deep-hearted laugh of good friends? Can you see how he encourages and speaks hope into their lives? Well, this is what we were created to do too. How thrilling. What a calling we get to live up to. We get to be mini-me versions of God as his sons and daughters. And so then we get to the therefore. Because we are mini-me versions of God, because we were created to, to live as his children, then there are some things that are unbecoming for us to do. Paul just rattles off this list of habits to put off and to put on in light of who we are. Because if we are in Christ, oh, you're falling asleep, then these old habits are out of place and they must be put off as like an old garment that you would be disgusted to be seen wearing. It's like, ooh, girlfriend, what you wearing? That, one, that piece is ugly. Not only are these old habits ugly, they damage the body. They destroy our unity, and so they must go. This is an active choice that we must make. In spite of all the goodness that we have in Christ, being in Christ does not automatically get rid of these past habits, but it does soften our hearts to want to. And so Paul says, each of you must put off falsehood. I remember when I was in youth and youth leaders would ask me what Bible passages have I, what of the Bible I've been reading lately and I hadn't been reading the Bible but I would make up something because I was too ashamed to admit that I hadn't been reading my Bible. That's falsehood. That's not actually building genuine relationship with other people in the body. Paul calls to take that off and to speak truthfully to our neighbour for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. 
Because anger in itself is not wrong, but it's what we do with it that can lead to some bad things. I know I often stew over what someone has done and I think about how I can be passive-aggressive to them in the future or how I can just cut them out of my life because they hurt me, I don't have anything to do with that person. And is that maintaining the unity of the spirit? No. So that's why it has to go. We don't want to give the devil any foothold in our lives. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. I hope that's straightforward and no one's doing that, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands so that they have something to share with those in need. So even if you don't have a job, we all can serve each other and we can all contribute to the needs of each other. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Again, what benefit is there in talking about people behind their backs or of even just crude things? Is it enriching? Does it build us up? It's not worthy of who we are anymore. But let us speak what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So all of this sort of put off and put on reminds me of perhaps the most famous karate move of all. Wax on, wax off. And so this is how we're going to sort of teach ourselves the next step. So I've put Paul's list in this easier-to-read context. And so you're going to have to get your hands ready, and we're going to be doing the put-off, put-on, okay? And so this is going to help our memory, but our hands aren't magic. So just doing this isn't going to wish them away. We're going to have to do this during the week to remind ourselves. But we're going to put off falsehood. So you need to move your arms with me. Put off falsehood, put on honesty. Put off stewing in anger and stealing. (laughs) Put on service and generosity. Put off unwholesome talk. Put on helpful, encouraging and official talk. Put off all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice, take it off. And put on kindness, compassion and forgiveness. This is something we must train at, guys. Uh, We must keep working to retain our mind and practice this. Paul says, again in 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. You know, what is awesome is that we already have won the prize. Have you sort of figured that out? That we already have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We already have eternal life in Christ. We're not running the race to earn the prize. We are running the race to live up to the prize we have already won in Christ Jesus, who won it for us. We want to be worthy of it. And the Holy Spirit is given to help us. Remember the pinky? We are gifted the Holy Spirit. He is our personal trainer. I don't know if you've ever had a personal trainer because they're expensive and so I haven't got a personal trainer. But from my experience, the Holy Spirit is the most awesome personal trainer out there. He will design a training program individualised for you. No one else will have the same program as you. For one of you, the Holy Spirit may want you to work on your anger first, to put that off, and he wants to put on peace. For someone else, he may want to work on your greed and then replace it with generosity. 
for someone else who may want to work on your vanity and then maybe your anxiety, I don't know. Everyone's training will look different, but oh, the Holy Spirit is the most brilliant trainer. He replaces lies with truth. He provides security where there is fear. So keep your ears attentive to him, for he speaks to us, constantly telling us the will of the Father. And so I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now, what is one thing you would like me to put off and what is one thing you want me to put on to actually live as your child? And you can use that list, but that is by no means exhaustive. I know the Holy Spirit's going to just land something in your heart right now as we spend just a minute thinking about that. And then I'm going to pray and we're going to put it off, whatever it was, and we're going to put on whatever the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart. So I'll just give you a few moments to think to yourselves, yeah, God, Holy Spirit, can you speak to me right now and share what you would like me to do? Okay, if you still don't know what the Holy Spirit is asking of you, I encourage you to keep asking him this week because he wants to work with you. That's his job and he loves it and he loves you. I'm going to pray in a moment, but I also want to encourage you, it may be a bit scary to tell someone what the Holy Spirit said to put off, but it's not that scary to tell someone what the Holy Spirit wants you to put on. God wants me to put on joy. God wants me to put on generosity. God wants me to put on patience. That's not that scary to share with someone. And so I want to encourage you to actually share that with someone. What is it that the Holy Spirit wants you to put on? And that way we can continue to build the unity of this church and continue to build each other up. Would you join me as I pray to finish? Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you are in our lives. God, we thank you that we are in Christ, that we have been chosen We are so special that you chose us and that you wanted to adopt us into your family. You have lavished us with such grace that you've forgiven all of our wrongdoing and you've gifted us your spirit to be our personal trainer. Holy Spirit, we bring those ugly past habits of ours before you now and we say we want to put them off because they are not us. They're not befitting of someone who is in you. God, would you give us the endurance and the desire to want to do that? Because sometimes they're really deeply rooted things going on in our lives. God, would you speak your truth into our lives? Would you open our eyes to see how ugly these things actually are and how damaging they are? But Holy Spirit, we open our arms and God, would you pour on your spirit that we would put on all the glories that you have promised to us. Lord, whatever you want to speak to us, that truth, that joy, that love, that compassion, all the fruitfulness that you've created us to be as mini-me versions of you, God, we just ask to receive that now. And God, in all that we do, would it be for your glory? Amen.